Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm. I'm Josh Evans. And on today's episode, get ready to peek behind the curtain and really see what the rigorous process for receiving one's Contentology PhD entails. Now imagine those several years of study being accelerated and condensed into one podcast episode. For the first time ever, this experimental hybrid program will be attempted by someone who has failed more at getting on TV than Brett and I have ever attempted. Now our guest is kind of a surprise, but I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with sip, fix, tree, pole. Now let's get ready to hang ten with a game of bras and skydive into the movie. Point break. Movies, shows, and video games. Podcast books and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. Josh. How are you? I'm pr- I'm doing pretty good. I'm a, I'm a little tired. I just walked in after about a 14 hour uh, commute home. Whoa! And uh, my wife wanted to give me a kiss to say hello. My dog wanted to give me a hug, and I said, "Not yet, you two. I got a podcast to record." You said, "Save it for the <laughs> podcast." <laughs> I, I got some I got some content to discuss. Yes, important business going on. We'll uh, share family affection later. That's right. So but, where uh, were you? You were uh, out working? Uh, yeah. It was my first trip with the new job. I came from Richmond, Virginia, but I've been all over uh, anywhere with a casino. I was flying a, a trip for a casino. So I was flying casino patro- patrons to and from their homes and their casinos. It's uh, Gambling's really popular right now, so... Best part is guys qualify as international waters so they can gamble while they're on the plane. Uh, I didn't see any gambling (laughs) happening on the plane, but uh, I didn't go in the back. I just stayed up front. Who knows what's going on back there? So did it feel good to get back in the cockpit like in a professional manner after all this time? Honestly, it felt fantastic, Um, especially being in a Boeing. It's an it was an older plane. It was a a 400, a 737 400 classic, uh, all analog, no glass in terms of the flight instrumentation that the, you know, I'm used to an electronic display for my flight instruments. But, um, you know, you get used to it pretty quick. I had a great captain. Um, and I'm not used to flying people, but I, you know, I didn't think about it that much. I thought it'd get in my head a little bit because I remember my last job when I flew cargo, there was, I did one passenger flight in, in the years that I flew cargo and there was like 300 people on board, it was my leg and I was really nervous about the landing. Um, this, this trip, I, there was, I don't know that we were like 120 to 150 people. Didn't even think about it. I was just, you know, just getting to know the airplane. So, but it went really well. I was really happy to be back in the skies. That is awesome. Well, congrats, man. Yeah. I imagine it'd be just like riding a big analog bike <laughs> without a glass cockpit. I mean, it probably just comes right back to you, right? It is there's With all your experience. Yeah, it it's a little less pedaling on the seven three than the seven four, but it's just like riding a bike, just like you said. <laughs> but you can still buy it piece by piece on the internet. That's that's true. Um, one thing though that was a little disappointing about being on my first work trip is uh, there was a certain skydiving event at my home drop zone in <laughs> yes, Delta. Yes, there was, Brett. <laughs> Yes. And so it seems like all my best friends in the world uh, flew to my home drop zone 
in the middle of nowhere in Colorado. We were all there. <laughs> so this was, I, I got to tell you, Brett, not to make you feel bad about it, but it was hands down the most amazing skydiving experience I've had. And I've done a lot of cool skydiving things. But what was so awesome about it was that we uh, took a private plane from an airport in Broomfield out here in uh, like near Denver in Colorado. Uh, and we have several friends who are pilots, uh, Rusty, who's been on the show before, and also my friend John. But uh, they rented this PC-12 private plane, this uh, single-engine prop plane, and we uh, flew out to the drop zone in style, which would have been about a four-and-a-half-hour drive from uh, Denver, but we flew across the front range, across the mountains, continental divide, and in 45 minutes we were at uh, we were in Delta at Ultimate Skydiving Adventures, which is your home drop zone. And I remember we were talking about it, and you kept saying, like, oh, Josh, you got to try to come out to the drop zone and I think my response was, there's no way in hell I will ever make it out there. It's way too far. But the one once-in-a-lifetime opportunity I had to go out there, Brett was working. So it was <laughs> a real shame. I, I have heard that when my friends get together and I'm not there, that is typically when they have the most fun. It's true, yeah. We usually yeah. have the best skydiving experience of our life. <laughs> when I'm not that around was... to sully the... Uh, Sully the mood. Yeah, we did totally miss you. I uh, said hi to all your friends out there. It was really cool, though, because, I mean, I guess normally it's a, like a small, like a Cessna 182 drop zone, right? That's what you guys I think. Jump. Yeah, I think it's a 182. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, they brought, a- out the, uh, they brought out the Twin Otter from Chicago, so we were like skydiving in style. We did four skydives out there, and yeah, it was cool. We just jumped a little bit hopped back on the private plane and flew back across the front range and over the continental divide back home. That's a, a fantastic baller move. Experience. That is a, that's a nice way to show up to a party. And just so Man, you know, it was so good. When you say a, a single engine plan, I just want to make this clear. A Pilatus PC 12 is a single engine turboprop. It is like one of the nicest planes you can fly. I mean, it, it's not, it's not the same as like a typical single engine piston aircraft. I mean, it's a nice turboprop. Yeah. Just want to throw that out there. It was amazing. From on the inside, it definitely seemed like we were in a private jet. It was just like all teak and brass paneling and yeah. <laughs> just drink service, all the snacks you could eat. I've actually never flown in a PC twelve. Uh, actually, maybe I have jumping, but not like a passenger configuration. But yeah, it looked great, man. It looked like a nice aircraft. It was really fun. So that was uh, that was my weekend, and it was great. But today, for the show, we have something very special for all of you as well. So uh, this is episode 50. Uh, I am very happy that our show has made it this far. It's uh, It's been like about a year we've been doing this. And so for our episode 50, we decided to bring on another guest, something that we've only done once before. And our guest today is should be well known to anyone who listens to the content clearinghouse. He is the preeminent super fan of this show. <laughs> he is the one and only flip six three hold. So this is a man following in Kevin Spacey's footsteps. If not for his whole taking advantage of young <laughs> male actors at parties vibe, then at the very least for being born with the same last name as Spacey's popular house of cards character. So please welcome our friend for a time. I'd say one of my primary inspirations for keeping this show going, because I always knew he was listening, Nick Underwood. Nick, how you doing? 
Oh, hey guys. Great. Great. Uh, long time. First time. Happy to be here. <laughs> I was that's just, what they say. I was just thinking the last name three hold did not ring a bell, but Underwood, <laughs> that's right. It's the Underwood. You know, it's I'm actually so... the first time I've ever been compared to Kevin Spacey. So, thank you for <laughs> well, that. Well, you stick around the content clearinghouse. It won't be the last, my friend. We're going to get you in some compromising positions. So, <laughs> so I'm I'm really excited that you're joining us for our big five zero, or as I like to call, it, we're over the hill now. Um, so it's all downhill from here. That's the good news or the bad news. So before we get going here, Brett, why don't you uh, tell me how you know Nick? We've known him for quite a long time. You know that is a good question. I think um, I I just have these vague memories of a crew bar get together, all of our closest friends, and it was uh, I believe out in Minnesota, if I remember correctly. But the the memory that really sticks out to me is there was so, there was an evening with some stand up paddle boards <laughs> and uh, a big fire pit or big fire going and uh, you know there was for some reason I don't know why but there was a lot of nudity there was a lot of naked uh, stand up paddle boarding happening and so it, you know it's a good way to make a friend it's a good way to break the ice is. Just having everybody remove all their clothes and participate in sports in the middle of the night on a lake. Oh, here's some Kevin Spacey references. Um, <laughs> Nick, do you have anything that you want to add to that story? Oh, I was just going to say the only thing sticking out about that was the memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just never faded. So I used to fly uh, drones, FPV with Nick, and... Um, I would go on some ride-alongs with him occasionally, and it's basically like where he's flying and I'm sitting in my goggles, and I'll just put this out, out there that when you're flying FPV, there's really nothing on the line safety-wise except for maybe like crashing into some personal property or something, but I've been on some crazy ride-alongs with Nick where at the end I took my goggles off and I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe we survived. <laughs> He's like, very good, but one of the craziest drone pilots I've ever known. So... That's one of my fondest memories of hanging out with Nick. I feel like uh, yeah, flying a drone um, would be a little better with no clothes. Oh, yeah. That's the best. Yeah. Yep. So for this show, we decided to do something truly special. We will be testing Nick on all things content to see if he's qualified to become the third official contentologist. This is something that we've been teasing for a little while now. So... We are going to be running Nick through the entire 96-month program, <laughs> the the Contentology program, which is very prestigious, all in the course of this one show. And if he passes this rigorous certification process, he will come away with a very prestigious title. Now, this is something that we have to literally go behind Harvard's back to accomplish. So some people in the school's administration might say that we aren't qualified for what we have planned today. But some other people, mainly us, would counter that contentology, <laughs> which is a real thing, is actually made up. So we can do anything we want. And why did we pick him for this? Mainly because this is a guy that wrote a term paper in college about <laughs> Starship Troopers. And that is some contentologist training business right there, if I've ever heard it. So I'm sure everyone here is also familiar with the process of acquiring a PhD. So I don't really need to cover this. But the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to run through uh, Nick's CV, his curriculum vitae, which is essentially a PhD candidate's credentials. 
which he was kind enough to send to us. So he's got a lot. So I'm going to run through these things, Nick, and then at the end, if you want to comment on any of them, you just let me know. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that uh, that he sent was that he was on the Tom Green show where he was interviewed by Tom in the audience and he won a propane tank of all things for his answers. <laughs> That's right. And he said that uh, he was supposed to come on stage and call an old friend to tell him a secret about something that he did to him that the old friend never knew. And uh, right before that happened, they lost their satellite feed and canceled the episode. So he thinks it might've been divine intervention stopping him from making a fool of himself on TV. He also uh, was a Hunger Games extra where he got all dolled up in hair and makeup and spent several days or several hours a day on set. And uh, he filmed some crowd scenes with J-Law, which did not appear in the movie. He was also an extra in uh, the Haley Steinfeld and Samuel L. Jackson masterpiece, Barely Lethal, (laughs) which I'm sure, again, you guys have all heard of where at the age of 34, he played a high school student and actually showed up on screen for about two seconds. So that's a good one. Uh, he participated in the 48-hour film project in Atlanta where he created a comedy short titled Happy Endings, which I do want to hear what that was about because that sounds scandalous, for which he was uh, the producer, the editor, the writer, and the actor, which they did not win. That was a Kevin Spacey project, right? Exactly. Uh, another thing which we mentioned on this show was his appearance on Octane Academy, where he was a contestant on what can only be described as an extremely uh, extremely early aughts fuel TV show uh, about racing cars and another thing that he did not win. Mm-hmm. He has three years of improv classes in, it, in Atlanta, so Nick, you better be funny, and of course, to round it out, like the most pre- prestigious thing he's ever done was he placed third in a Halo 3 tournament, which I would say speaks for itself. <laughs> and I can say, Nick, that you have attempted and failed to appear on TV and film several times more than Brett and I combined. Yeah, it's kind of like a passion for me. Um, I don't know what will happen if I actually ever succeed there, but, you know, it's fun trying. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I didn't know that you had done all that stuff. Yeah, I like to keep it secret. Um you know, not my most proud moments in most cases, but it does apply uh, to the current situation of trying to achieve this prestigious degree. Indeed, it does. The good news is, is uh, talking about things on this show, your secrets are mostly still safe <laughs> with the two of us. Yes. Don't worry. It's going to blow up one day. So let's uh, jump right into this. Let's do uh, the content circuit, which is something that Brett and I always love to discuss. So Nick, uh, what's on your content circuit lately? Yeah, um, so we're back in the bus now. So all I get video-wise is stuff I downloaded before we started traveling. Uh, I've been working through uh, the latest season of Walking Dead. Um, and you talked a little, bit, a little bit about that a couple weeks ago, I think, or maybe last week. And yeah, I agree. It's been pretty neat with the uh, the way they've had to split up the episodes and the characters. Um you're right about the Negan episode. That was a pretty solid, solid episode. And I've also just started uh, season two of uh, Snowpiercer, the TV show. Um, it's an interesting show. I know you guys talked about the movie. I don't think you said you had seen the seen the show. Is that right? Yeah, I have I not. not seen the show yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's um, it's the production level is pretty good, I would say, and it's got some good actors and. There's, there's something weird about it, and I think I finally figured out it's just, uh, I, I think it's PG, maybe PG-13. I think that kind of kills it a little bit. It just feels a little cheesy in places where they could have gone a little more graphic, but it's a, it's a pretty neat show. 
Yeah, because the movie is like extremely graphic and violent, which is like one of the best things about it. Yeah. But I guess like when you when they take it to TV, they have to make it more of like a mass appeal type of thing. They probably couldn't get uh, Chris Evans to come back to for the Snowpiercer TV show. He's a little He's busy. He's too busy not being in Falcon <laughs> yeah. and Winter Soldier. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what about you, Brett? What, what's on your content circuit right now? Well, I have had a little bit of time to uh, squeeze a little content in there. Um, I watched this YouTube video called Ultron Was Right, and it kind of made me appreciate my least favorite Marvel movie. Um, it it's there's everything in the MCU is just so well thought out, even things that I feel like only the people that make these YouTube videos are going to figure out. But it's it it kind of discusses all the kind of predictions that Ultron was making and and uh, I'm gonna link it in the show notes. It's definitely one to check out for any Marvel fan. And speaking of Marvel. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Been uh, I'm all caught up on that. And then uh, Anthony Mackie was actually in a movie that I watched on the flight back called Synchronic. Have you guys seen this? It's a Netflix movie. No. Never heard of that. So it's like a uh, it's like a uh, synthetic DMT type drug that kids are getting into, and um, it causes time travel. So if your if your pineal gland is a little bit older and it's calcified, then you'll kind of see uh, different periods of time depending on where you're standing in your room or outside. But if you're uh, if you're younger, you might actually travel through time and not even come back. It was pretty good. I kind of enjoyed Ooh, that it. Sounds awesome. Yeah, the visual effects were pretty stunning, and I always enjoy seeing Anthony Mackie. But that's about it. I, I have Money Heist on the list. That's a recommendation from another. Uh, listener and fan DV, but I have not gotten around to it, but it is next on the list. So how about you, Josh? Uh, speaking of Falcon and the Winter yeah. Soldier, I'm yes. on episode three, and man, you know what? I would actually love to see a show just about John Walker. Oh, yeah. I think that would be fascinating. Like, Falcon and the Winter Soldier are awesome, but I feel like you know we've been very inundated with them in the MCU, but the John Walker character, the new Captain America, it's so fascinating how just like like low level discomfort you get when he's on screen. It's a really awesome character. I'm really excited to see where they go with that. But I well, also I think, actually Yeah, I was gonna say I'm gonna dive into it a little bit more, but I sent you a, a long article about the costume design and just how you know, once again, the MCU, they really think out every detail and every plan and uh, his costume design is so well thought out to make him unsettling, even before you know that there's kind of an anti-hero or like a some challenging PTSD type vibes with the character. But it is fantastic. Yeah, I really like the way they're the direction they're going with that, and that kind of seems unlike anything I've seen in the MCU yet before. And you know, it kind of made me think about. Uh, like what Captain America, you know, it wasn't just about that he had the shield or that he was a symbol. It's like Captain America, his persona went so much further. Just like, you know, it went into who Steve Rogers was and Captain America really wouldn't have been a symbol without Steve Rogers because he was so iconically good. And then it just seems like so misguided and so American government 
for them to try to shoehorn a new person into that role just to like keep the brand alive. And so I think that's like another really awesome take that they have on that character that, you know, they, they're basically forcing a new captain America on everyone. And it's like the, the populace doesn't even realize that they don't actually want that. So I think that's really interesting for sure. How about you, Nick? Have you seen that Falcon of the Winter Soldier? No, I was going to ask. I haven't haven't started that yet. Does it pick up speed faster than WandaVision? Uh, everybody kind of had a couple episodes before they really got into WandaVision. I, I think it does, but I had a very similar reaction where the first episode I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And mm-hmm. then now I'm like super into it, and it's I feel like it's the best thing that has ever come out of Marvel. And I said exactly the same really? thing with WandaVision. Um, and I will probably say the exact same thing with whatever the next Marvel television <laughs> series, because I love hyperbole. Nice. Nice. <laughs> it's your favorite. <laughs> so Nick, where would you say that your, uh, content interests lie? Like, are there any types of content mentioned in our fantastic theme song that you typically gravitate towards? Or are you like a book guy? Are you a movie guy? Uh, I would say I'm, I'm pretty much all over the place. I'm a generalist, I guess you could say. Uh, I mean, I do like my movies. Um, Book-wise, I've done a ton of reading. I don't know what to call it. So I listened to a ton of books over the last, or I have listened to, I don't know, probably a couple hundred books over the last five or six years. Do, when you say, you, do you say you read books when you listen to them? How do you say, how do you say that? Yeah, I think it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Audio book or reading the book is like, uh, I, I think my, at this my ears point, do the are, reading for me. Exactly. Right, I think right. those things are synonymous. Yeah. So I, I do that a lot or I have been, um, I, I'm kind of a podcast addict. I don't know if you noticed I'm into podcasts. Um, I listen to just about anything. I really don't have any standards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> low, <laughs> low to, well, no, to no standards is a good Super thing. Fan has no, no actually, standards. <laughs> no, actually, to tell you the truth, I have had to um, whittle down my selection uh, drastically, and you guys are you're definitely up there on my weekly for sure list. Um, so you know, take that how you will. But yeah, I, I crush the podcasts. I used to really crush the books. Um, I read them with my ears, and uh, the video games back in the day for sure. Uh, lately, not as much. Um, I did, I got really excited about Cyberpunk 2077, um, and I got it, and I got on my computer, my previous computer, and it was garbage. Um, not just the gameplay, but the game kind of seemed like it wasn't all it was hyped up to be. Um, I recently got a new computer, and this one kicks ass at, at, at the frames per second, um, actually plays it really well, looks beautiful, and I tried another couple hours, but I was... I'm sad to say I was still kind of bored with it um, pretty quick. I mean, it's an amazing open world, huge, crazy setup, very detailed, but uh, yeah, it, it really kind of bored me quickly. Man, that's such a shame. Yeah. I bought it too, and I never even unwrapped it, so I've never put it in. I don't think I'm ever going to at this point. Yeah, it is a shame. If you keep it, it in its wrapping, like you... I, I hear uh, GameStop will, you can return it to GameStop for a little share of their Here we stock. Go. <laughs> Here we go again. Well, it sounds like, uh, Nick, you are highly qualified to be a contentologist with that generalist idea of the things that you like to consume. So why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back and we will get into some content. Ooh, content. Hello, listeners. Don't hit the skip forward button just yet. This is not an ad. This is a call for you guys and gals to get involved with the show. 
So we want to hear from you about your favorite pieces of content and why they're the best. Or you can even tell us if you've checked out a piece of content because we recommended it and uh, if you loved it or not. So contact us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or on Instagram or Facebook at The Content Clearinghouse. And we will read your letters on the air right here. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. Okay, back to the show. Ooh, content. Clear it out. Welcome back to The Content Clearinghouse. So today, moving into uh, the continuation of this prestigious contentology PhD evaluation, uh, <laughs> Nick is going to be giving us a dissertation on, I would say, I guess this is your favorite piece of content in the entire world, right, Nick? Yeah, and I'll get into that a little bit here in a minute. Um, there was a little discrepancy on that that note there, but um, I think I've, I've settled in on something that we'll get to around that. All right, well, why don't you uh, just take it away? Oh, oh, great. All right. Um, if you don't mind, I would like to start with a little bit of a short prepared statement. Esteemed contentologists, I want to thank you for this unprecedented opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) I feel truly honored to either be the first person to flunk out of the contentology program or to actually succeed and become the world's third credentialed contentologist. Without you two and what you do on this podcast, I never would have known that contentology, which is a real thing, even existed. (laughs) And to foreshadow... it so far. (laughs) Yeah, it's starting out strong. And, and, and to foreshadow a bit, without the piece of content I'm going to discuss today, I likely never would have met you guys and found my ways to this momentous occasion. Uh, without knowing it, I think I've always been working towards this moment, as we kind of covered already. And I hopefully will finally be able to leave my dead-end career as a software engineer behind and devote myself 100% to the field of contentology, which is a real thing. And I will not, I repeat, not let my trio of conversational impediments, mumbling, fumbling words, and having an absolute garbage memory for detail hold me back in this pursuit. <laughs> With that, I am ready to present and defend my dissertation as the final and first hurdle to my new PhD. So, I, well, I will tell you that I don't think being a contentologist pays as much as being a software engineer, <laughs> but we will see where the year takes us. Okay, well, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. All right, so uh, today I'm going to talk about a piece of content, as you mentioned, near and dear to my heart. It's a movie uh, that will be turning 30 years old on July 12th, if you can uh, believe that. Um, It's a movie that I used to always say was tied for first place in my favorite movies list. But now, um, after the deep dive of the last couple weeks, I can confidently say it stands alone as my true number one now. So, coming as no surprise to anyone who knows me, uh, of course I'm talking about Point Break. Um, I'm assuming you guys are pretty familiar with this film. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, you said 30 years though. Are we not discussing the 2015 film starring, uh, Edgar <laughs> Ramirez and Luke Bracey? Oh no. Are you telling me oh, I watched I the I... wrong point break in preparation for this? Oh, I think man. I might've done the wrong <laughs> research as well. So funny you mentioned that I was, uh, I was trying to talk about the, this movie too. Um, a friend of my fiance who, who she worked with, who's a bit younger and I was talking to, you know, talking about how great the movie was. And she, she did reference that movie. She had never heard the original and, um, it kind of made me feel a little dated and it, it really put things into perspective for me. Um, what this sort of, a Gen Z group is missing, but, uh, you're not the one that's wrong in that story. <laughs> yeah. 
right, but it's right, one right. of it's one of the most important jobs of a contentologist is recommending only the best content. So yes. you know, I hope that you took that as an opportunity to uh, bring the real forty five minute dissertation. <laughs> the real her. point She's break. Like, I uh, need to go. Hold on, I'm not done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I I let her know what was up, but all right. So uh, I doubt the other listener uh, listeners. Um, I've not seen Point Break, uh, the the original one, not the 2015. Um, I don't know. We'll call it catastrophe. Uh, but just in case, <laughs> generous. Yeah, yeah. I, well, actually, you know, I did, I didn't want to get into it, but real quick, I will say, if it was just an action film that didn't have the name Point Break, it was okay. If they didn't try to like make a little homage to it and throw in a couple lines and character names, um, it, it would have been maybe acceptable. But I don't know. It was sort of a crime what they did. Anywho. It does have some of the most awesome action scenes I've ever seen on film, but it's just like, I wish they had just taken those and like you're saying, not wrap them in a movie, just release like the wingsuit thing and release the thing where they skydive into the, into the hole in Mexico and then release the surfing right. and be like, okay, we just made a YouTube channel. That would have been much better. <laughs> right. And cheaper too. I think they spent like a hundred million on that movie. <laughs> Probably for Luke Bracey. <laughs> He's so dreamy. All right, all right. So, <laughs> in case anybody didn't know, as the first line of Wikipedia says, Point Break is a 1991 action crime film directed by Catherine Bigelow and written by W. Peter Eiliff, starring Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves, Laurie Petty, and Gary Busey. On the surface, it may appear to be just a, you know, a lowbrow action flick uh, about bank robbing surfers and the FBI agents trying to catch them. Uh, but really, that premise is more of just a vehicle or a fun backdrop to tell the story about a confident, straight-shooting young man who appears to think he has it all figured out, but only to come to find out that maybe the path he's on isn't the right one for him, and just maybe there's some gray area in between the moral bookends of right and wrong. Uh, so the film uses, and to quote Catherine Bigelow, Bigelow, the director, and use one of Brett's favorite words, a set of juxtapositions... That are manifested and explored through a trio of complex relationships to take this man through his evolution. And there is, so I, there's know, a lot of juxtapositions in this movie. Indeed, indeed. And I never really thought about like what you're saying about like, I mean, I guess it's kind of obvious, but like his path that he's on, like that is, and I guess it's like an analogy for, I don't know, being out on your own for the first time, you know, as like a, a young 20 something in the, in, I guess it's just as pertinent now as it was in the nineties because I remember whenever I was like finally out on my own, I was like, Oh yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to do. But like, I literally got roped into skydiving, like almost, you know, sans bank robbery, but it was (laughs) a very similar thing where it's just like you find a passion and it just totally derails everything that you thought you had figured out in life. See, I get the juxtaposition I thought Catherine Bigelow was talking about in an interview I watched behind the scenes of Point Break was um, more of like a the squares versus the anti-establishment figures. It's almost like you've read my dissertation. <laughs> I We've just been contentologizing for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. All right. Um, so, yeah, I could go on trying to wax poetic or... Uh, pontificate about you know why this movie is the best or the worst or even why it's the best and the worst at the same time uh but that's not how i'm gonna approach that today or this today uh yeah for one i'd be probably like the ten thousandth person to try to do that and honestly i'm i'm not likely to offer any new insight 
in that arena. Uh, if, you, if you want something like that, just Google Point Break and you will find a few opinions. Uh, <laughs> but for our purposes here, there's a different way I, I personally would describe Point Break. Um, it is the movie that got me into surfing. It's the movie that got me into skydiving. It taught me that spirituality not only can be cool, but can coexist with the radical and, I guess, violence, too. Uh, it showed me that your life's direction doesn't have to be set in stone after you've chosen a path. It made me realize I don't want to do, just be some other dead soul inching along the freeway in my metal coffin. It taught me that it's not tragic to die doing what you love. And most importantly, it told me, why only get one meatball sub when you can get two? Utah. Give me two. That is peak Busey right there. By the I, way. And, I, and I feel like you're waxing poetic right now. One of my favorite things. Yes, I mean, I guess, and you would know this as contentologists, you may, you may try not to do it, but it just happens. It just comes out of you. Some of the most poetic thoughts I've ever had have come from reading a book. I usually read with my eyes, but uh, reading or playing a game or watching something, it's like that. that's why I love content so much and especially doing this show because I've mentioned it so many times, but it's made me think about content in a whole other way and all of the like underlying philosophies and things that go along with this because for all these things that we talk about on this show – the things that we consider like the greatest pieces of content, it is definitely like the works of geniuses, you know, like people that are really putting like all their life experience into these awesome creations. And that's like, it just brings me so much joy. Like I can't wait until the end of the night sometimes so I can lay down in bed and like read or watch a movie or something. And I feel like I've been doing that for, you know, 35 years now. Yeah. Would you, would you say you, you love, the movies and all the content just because the way it affects you. Yeah. It's just that like the thoughts that this stuff brings to my mind. And I have some thoughts about this movie, like some very specific things in the way that it's affected my life that I didn't really think about until I sat down and watched this to prepare for the show uh, for today. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you noticed um, the way I kind of outlined it. Um, it did sound like it was all about me, and that was on purpose because uh, that's kind of where I want to focus on this piece, uh, which is the impact that the movie has had on people, including me. And also, I'm going to look a bit about the uh, impact it had on the people who are involved in creating it. And I'll, uh, I'll start with me because that's where I have the most data. Um, if you were to ask my closest <laughs> friends uh, what I'm known for, that they'd probably say two things. Um, number one, they would definitely say my love for Keanu Reeves and specifically Point Break. Um, and number two, they would always bring up my irrational and lifelong fear of bears. Um, bears are pretty much the only topic in my fear journal. And I don't have a good explanation for that. That's just how it is. So Bears are reference. scary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've actually you started to feel You don't mess a with bit. a bear. Right. I don't know. I, Brett has a whole chapter dedicated to them in his fear <laughs> journal. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, that's my entire fear journal. So, All right. So. So for me, why Point Break? Why not Citizen Kane or, I don't know, something like the Garfield movie? Uh, what is it about this movie that affects me and so many people so much? Um, when I was prepping for this, I had to actually think about that a lot. It really surprised me how much uh, thought it took to get to the to the conclusions I came up with. But, um, you know, of course, there's all the, the obvious stuff on the top, uh, on the surface. Uh, the extreme sports, the chase scenes. Uh, you got Gary Busey, bank robbery, shootouts, Keanu Reeves, uh, endless great quotes. Patrick Swayze dressed as Ronald Reagan using a gas pump as a flamethrower. And, you know, all that stuff is fun. 
and great and cool. But uh, I think there's also something a little bit deeper uh, that had a, had a longer lasting effect on effect on who I actually am and who I became. And when it all boils down, I identified three levels at which this film has impacted me. Um, one, uh, like I was just saying, just the pure entertainment. Uh, there's no denying that with this film. Two, more tangibly, as things I've done in my life as a result of this film. And the third one is sort of my conclusion, and I'll save that for the end. So I think I'll just jump right into some of the, the more popular parts, and which is like point number two for me, the tangible stuff. Uh, I'm going to start with some of the, the, the extreme sports in the movie, which is kind of kind of really known for. Um, so like I said, it came out in 91, um, and the 90s was the decade where extreme sports and really that term even um, started to pick up steam in the culture. Uh, and the 90s also happened to be the decade uh, when I was in my formative teenage years. So I was uh, I was right to whatever it was selling. Uh, Point Break was probably the first movie I ever saw that made surfing look cool. Uh, and really one of the only, if not the only, mainstream movies to put uh, surfing so front and center. Uh, granted, the surf scenes don't, uh, the edits don't compare to like modern surf videos. But I think it was enough for me. And I've been trying to surf now for a couple decades. Uh, I'm still garbage, but I still do try to paddle out every chance I get. And I definitely give Point Break the lion's share of the credit for that. Uh, there is an incredible shot though, when Bodie lays down in the tube at the beginning where it, I, I didn't remember that until I watched it again recently, but man, that is like one of the coolest surfing shots I think I've ever seen. Cause he's just like laid over backwards and he's like got his hair brushing against the, the wave. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. And I think the style, so a lot of surfing comes down to the style of the person doing it. And I think that actually that scene really encompassed uh, Bodie style pretty good sort of that just laid back getting in the groove kind of style so yeah that was a great shot you guys do any surfing i surfed once uh i was (laughs) (laughs) i was actually can i tell it (laughs) oh sure go for it (laughs) (laughs) well i surfed for like a year in california but brett came out to visit and i told him like whatever you do don't get the surfboard between you and the wave Uh and then uh then what happened brett Oh, I thought you were telling it. Okay, so uh, and keep in mind, this is about it was about ten years ago. Uh, the surfboard flew up into the air and hit me in the face and dislocated my jaw. But my oh, biggest, <laughs> my biggest regret about the whole thing was we had this delicious dinner. I was just talking about this with Josh recently. I had this, you know, we went out for dinner. It had all the crab and the shrimp, and it was just this like you know they put it all on the table on one of those like paper tablecloths and I just couldn't really fully enjoy this fantastic seafood meal because my jaw just hurt for like three days until I got a chiropractor to pop it back into place. So yeah, you could say I'm pretty good. (laughs) Pretty much a Bodie. (laughs) Oh man, that that sounds brutal. (laughs) Well, yeah, like I said, I, uh, it's been a lifelong, well, half lifelong thing for me. Um, trying to get out there and actually learn to surf and it's, it's tough, man. I'll tell you. Um, there is a, another connection I've had to the surfing in this movie though. Um, sort of a non-intentional pilgrimage, but I've hit, um, all three spots, uh, related to the, um, the last scene in the movie. So I've been to Bell's beach actually in Australia where the, the last scene was set where Bodhi paddles out. Um, Whoa. I've been to Waimea in Hawaii where they filmed the waves for that scene. Um, when it was actually breaking, they actually got pretty lucky getting those waves. Um, cause it doesn't break like that very often out there. And I've actually surfed Once every at, uh, 50 in- years. Right. And I've actually surfed at the uh, Indian beach in Oregon uh, where they actually filmed the beach parts with uh, 
uh, Bodhi and Utah. So that was a oh man, that's awesome. Sort of a like a special thing for me. Anyway, um, so Point Break was also definitely the first movie, maybe the only uh, I saw that uh, introduced skydiving more as a sport and not just some like crazy crazy chase scene. Though it does have one of the probably the craziest skydiving chase scenes at all. Um, I have a feeling. You guys might identify with this a little bit more. I want to say you've talked about skydiving before on the show. We brought it up once or twice. <laughs> this episode. Catch up today. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know what? I remember hearing I mean, skydiving brought us all together, really. Indeed it did. But I, I remember hearing that so many times when I started skydiving that like Point Break was an, like a number one inspiration. Like, oh yeah, I'm here because I saw Point Break. But... I don't remember it having that influence on me until after I started skydiving. Like, actually, I don't even know if I saw this movie whenever I was young. I, I might have seen it for the first time after I started skydiving. So it, I might not be one of the people that was inspired to go skydive specifically by this film. All right. So, uh, yeah, we'll switch gears now and talk a little bit about the uh, the bank robbery shootouts and chase scenes. And this is just the pure, pure entertainment stuff. Uh, you know, these are all common tropes that... Uh, that all action movies have. Uh, but in each case, Point Break has some standout moments. Um, as for the impact on me personally, uh, this, like I said, is just pure entertainment. I don't think it really affected me on my bank robberies or the subsequent chase uh, chases and shootouts uh, just yet. Now, let me so, ask you something. As a, as, a, as a candidate here for a contentology PhD, mm-hmm. if you are trying to escape, should you pick up a dog and throw it at your pursuer well <laughs> we all know the answer to this <laughs> yes and no see it's, it's a little more deep than you would think it depends on your relationship with the person you're throwing the dog at because uh, okay. ultimately <laughs> it may Continue. not work if you throw the dog at them they still may catch you but if they have a serious bromance with you if you're kind of like soulmates and like in an unrequited kind of way even if they catch you, they're probably not going to shoot you. And on that note, Johnny Utah is the worst FBI agent in history. He lets Bodie go so many times, and he literally empties his gun into the air, like pretty yeah. much right in the middle of L.A., which <laughs> yeah. I feel like every one of those shots is a potential homicide. Yeah, yeah, I actually have a couple notes about that. I was... uh I was thinking that was pretty <laughs> reckless for uh, an FBI agent. Uh, but, you know, like we we're saying, it's it's complicated between those two. Um, you know, a lot of people like to uh, you know call it one of the greatest love stories of all time. Uh, and they're always referring to Keanu and, well, Utah and Bodie. I just now realized there's probably a, a whole slew of fan fiction online that I don't want to read. It's called shipping. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I didn't actually come across any of that in my research, so maybe it's buried pretty deep in there, hopefully. You're... We'll find some links to share in the show <laughs> notes. Don't worry, everyone. You're not spending the right... You're not going to the right places on the internet, that's for sure. So how do you feel about the action scenes then in the film? Like, do, do you feel... Like, what I've always felt is that this film is basically like an action scene portfolio for Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. And I think that I've always thought of Point Break as like a way of her showing off her directing prowess with different types of action scenes. Like I went through whenever I was watching this and I 
I basically categorized each one of the scenes. There are 14 big action scenes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, so if you don't mind, I'll run through them right now because I thought it was really interesting, like all the, all the bases that she covers. Yeah, definitely. So she, the first scene, it's like uh, the gun, his, his like gun range training in the rain. Mm-hmm. And then the second scene is the ex-president's first bank robbery. And then it moves into Johnny Utah learning to surf. So like, Right there, you have like three different types of action scenes. You know, you have uh, the shootout, then you have kind of like the the classic action scene with them, like you know, coming in and controlling the crowd and getting all crazy. And then the surf scene, which is you know like an extreme sports scene, something you don't really see in that many movies. And then yeah. there, he goes into the the football on the beach. Uh, there's surfing with War Child and the the fist fight on the beach with Anthony Kiedis, and then the uh, the stealth mission. So you have more surfing. You have fighting, you have football, which is also like an action scene. And then it goes into the raid and shootout at Bunker's house, which is kind of like, that's like classic action movie stuff. And then uh, you have ex-president's team surf. It go, goes into the uh, the evolving foot chase after the robbery, the car chase where the hubcap comes off the car, the, uh, the burning car with the flamethrower, and then uh, Bodhi on fire. And then he's like, you know, he, he ends up, getting away Utah firing into the air worst FBI agent ever <laughs> and then it goes into the skydiving scenes and I think that's the scene that kind of defined the movie for so many people and got so many skydivers interested in this sport then you got another bank robbery the airport shootout the rigless jump which is such an incredible skydiving stunt and then finally there's the fight with Bodie on the beach at the end in the rain and the movie is kind of bookended by shots in the rain and yep. filming in the rain is always like a choice. It's the one that like complicates everything. And I think that that was, that was Bigelow like really showing off that like I can cover all bases. And also I can do these scenes in the rain where we have to deal with not just like the technical aspect of it, but also like all the hair and makeup that goes along with that. And that is, I think it's just one of the greatest action portfolios ever. No, absolutely. I mean, if there's one thing um, you could say that you you know you really could say that you couldn't have complaints about this film, it's that it's the cinematography. Um, Bigelow and her cinematographer uh, really kind of pushed the envelope on a lot of things, especially that the foot chase scene. Um, that was something new. Um, they had to come up with a little bit of a new camera technology to make that work. And same with the, the skydiving scenes; they had a whole rig built on the ground to have the entire team to seem like they're skydiving side by side with a big fan in the room so yeah absolutely um the whole cast and everybody gave a ton of credit to Catherine um for really pushing through and and coming up with some unique stuff for this movie um and yeah absolutely a a huge portfolio of just awesome different scenes and all kinds of action now is is she married to james cameron yeah yeah so yeah she this was her probably third or fourth movie um the story goes that cameron actually helped her find this movie um after i think it was uh it was like a blue steel or something like that she had another sort of a more avant-garde movie in fact she uh so this movie did pretty well in the theaters uh, did 84 million on a 24 million dollar budget somewhere around that number um oh. so it, i mean it did decent it wasn't like a blockbuster or anything but and it was actually her second best um box office uh just behind uh, Zero Dark Thirty, which is way more recent. Um, the critics didn't yeah. really like Point Break um, now or back then. 
Um, and they, you it's know, a total cult classic. Like it has cult classic written all over it. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they also thought it was a departure from where, um, her previous movies were a little bit more avant-garde, um, slightly different styling, nothing as mainstreamy kind of actiony, uh, masculine as this one. I mean, uh, I love the take that you have on this because as I think about this movie, I'm trying to look into my own experience, my own life experience, and I'm trying to figure out if there's ever been a piece of content that has literally uh, encouraged me or inspired me to get involved in not just one action sport, but two action sports. And I don't think there is. Like, I know a lot of pilots became interested in flying because of movies like Top Gun. Um, and I was the same way as Josh was with Point Break. I did not see the movie. I did not know about the movie until after I had started skydiving. I think I was just a little bit young and, uh, you know, interested in some other types of entertainment at the time. But skydiving brought me to Point Break. And I, of course, realized how it could have had that impact on people. But I just don't think there's any better endorsement than you learning to surf and skydive because of a piece of content. That is the ultimate endorsement. It truly is. Right. And I, you know, I think that this uh, this movie, watching it now, it gave me a sense that it's like it hasn't really been recaptured since I started skydiving. Like when I first started jumping, I remember thinking like anything was possible. Like I could go anywhere I wanted in the sport, even though it was like, officially awful at the beginning and uh but like as i've gotten better at jumping you know you start to see where the edges are in a sport like as you get better at anything and in the beginning i I couldn't see any of those edges and it just gave me that sense of like infinite possibility and you know i kind of the sense that not everything had been discovered yet and that's what this movie made me feel like 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 utah's journey you know he's starting off where he has no idea where this is going to take him you know, he starts off as essentially just doing this for the job, but he gets totally roped into it, and he clearly does not have a life plan. So I, th- I just thought it was really interesting the way that, you know, me sitting in my house, you know, like in my 40s, it really gave me that sense watching Point Break, just like this magical world where you could go anywhere you wanted to and do anything you wanted to with, you know, the, the potential within yourself. And I remember feeling that like sitting on the, on the couch at the drop zone where I, you know, I drove up at, you know, 10 o'clock at night and just slept in the lobby. Cause I was like, I'm going to go skydiving in the morning. And those are the kind of things that you just don't really get whenever you're deep into any kind of activity. And it's just crazy that point break makes me feel those same sensations. Yeah. And, uh, I, you're probably not alone and, and I'm probably not alone being, uh, you know, someone who picked up both sports just because of that movie. Um, it Indeed. has, it has a special way of kind of communicating, uh, those feelings from those scenes. Um, so I'd be remiss if we didn't cover some of the, the, the actors in this movie a little bit. Um, they are a big part of it. Uh, and you can't really talk about point break without talking about Mr. Keanu Reeves, AKA cool breeze over the mountain. Now, <laughs> is that what that means? Yeah, is that is that that's literally his uh it's Hawaiian. His name is Hawaiian and you actually pronounce it slightly differently. I've tried to like master how to pronounce it. I'm not even going to try here. It's not Keanu. Uh it's close to that, but it's uh there's emphasis on a different syllable. Anyway, uh So, 
you could do an entire podcast about this guy, right? This magical man. Um, actually, I had, a, I had a really good idea. I thought a couple of days ago, um, you know, sit down, watch this entire filmography, and do an episode about every every film, which is like eighty something or something now. And then uh, one quick Google, and I found a podcast called uh, Shit. Where'd it go? Oh, and I found a podcast called uh, Keanu Club, the Keanu Reeves podcast, where they literally did that. They started with his first movie. Actually, a couple of little TV shows in Canada before his first movie, and now have eighty something episodes going all the way through every single one of his movies. And we could probably that put... seems like a classic idea. Yeah, yeah that's a great idea. And uh, I share that in the show notes. Yeah, I'll send you the link for that. And the uh, the guys that did it actually, this was their second podcast. Their first one, they did the exact same thing with uh, Nicholas Cage. I think it was just called Cage Club. Nice. I only call. Um, I did listen to the point, uh, the point break episode of theirs, and I was a little, little disappointed with how they kind of uh, treated the movie. But I guess you know, all's fair in love and point break. Not but, everyone has the same love for it we do, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like I said, maybe there's, there's, maybe they're they might just be critics, not contentologists. You know, that's a very Which good point. They did come out very critical, so that's fair. That's I might fair take point. that. I might take that Gary Busey idea with podcasts um except i don't want to descend into madness <laughs> <laughs> well you don't want to go into his mind then <laughs> well all right so you know we talked about the impact on me and others uh you know people that watched the movie um it, all, it obviously also impacted the actors in there um so for keanu reeves this was his uh i don't know like 12th movie or something like that uh, he had a couple of leading roles before point break but this is really the one that puts him on the map. This is sort of his breakout movie. You know, this is the one where he's, you know, establishes himself as a serious actor, which some people may debate, but definitely as an action star. Um, and it's not until Johnny Mnemonic, uh, a few years later, that he gets established as a uh, sci-fi guy as well. Um, and fun fact, um, Johnny Mnemonic is actually probably my favorite uh, Keanu Reeves movie, even though... Point Break is probably my favorite movie of all time. Do the math on that. Uh, it's just, uh, I'm a huge sort of cyberpunk fan. And uh, that's uh, that's a fantastic cyberpunk movie if you've never seen that. Anyway. That's one that slipped through my fingers. I guess I need to go back and watch that one. Oh, man. it's, uh, it's I mean, it's got a, quite a cast, too. You got, uh, obviously, you got Keanu. You have uh, Dina Meyer, Ice-T, uh, Henry Rollins. Uh, who else? Rolf, uh, Dolph Lundgren. Uh, a computer hacking dolphin, uh, and it's it's based on a story by uh, William Gibson. It's I mean it's it's a pretty solid oh, nice. little movie. Um, put that on the list. Yeah. So, you know, without Point Break, I don't think we'd have the Keanu we have today. Um, I didn't find a lot of info about you know his personal feelings on how it impacted him. All he really ever said was it impacted me, and he kind of left it at that. Um, he did say he did pick up surfing because of the movie and he says he still surfs to this day. So not just the fans as a side note, uh, as we wouldn't have Keanu Reeves without point break, I don't think, uh, Keanu Reeves without Keanu Reeves, we would have this point break. Um, before Catherine Bigelow, uh, insisted on Keanu, uh, the studio also looked at Val Kilmer, uh, Matthew Broderick, Charlie Sheen, Johnny Depp, and they even looked at Willem Dafoe, um, to play Utah. I don't know if you can imagine any of those characters. That would not have worked, right? I don't. I don't think you can have William Defoe and Gary Busey in the same room together because they're they're the same person. 
right? They just well, first of all, it's Willem Dafoe, <laughs> and secondly, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, take it even further. Could you imagine a world without Keanu Reeves in it? Like, who who would be the Keanu Reeves of this alternate universe? How could you even How could you even pick one? I don't know everyone, and I can't <laughs> even imagine another person that would have his same skill set. Have you seen that guy shoot? 100% Utah. That, Into the uh, air. <laughs> that uh, clip that you texted us of, uh, do you want to describe that? Uh, I think he's training for a John Wick movie. Am I right? Either the first one or the second one. Yeah, it's just him. I, I think it's an old clip. It made the rounds a while back. It's him with Halle Berry, and they're out there doing, I guess, a training session. Um, I have a friend that does this kind of shooting competitively, and I can't remember exactly what they call it. Um, Some kind but, of tactical, fully yeah. auto target, but you got to move and shoot. It is incredibly impressive if you know anything about firearms um, or just being awesome and looking badass but the guy truly is like he's turning into the action star that he plays on uh tv or in movies he's a special man that keanu all right so over the mountain cool breeze over the mountain all right so opposite keanu um we have patrick swayze as Bodie, and so at this point in patrick swayze's career he's already firmly established as a serious actor a top-notch serious actor, and an action star. Uh, uh, Keanu actually credits Swayze for helping him push through some of the action scenes and really pushing um, you know, pushing him even harder. Uh, and Swayze was actually in Keanu's first film, uh, Youngbloods, which was a Canadian hockey film, which I guess is a little redundant. So Swayze said uh, Bodhi was the only character in the film that really interested him, and the rest of the cast and the crew said that uh, Swayze really was the real-life Bodhi. Um... Though ultimately, Uh-oh, it didn't def- have the same. I don't impact. know if that sounds like uh, an endorsement, though. Without no. all the murder and bank robbery, well, I, I guess I, I assume they were talking about the sort of the spiritual side, the sort of the soul surfer kind of part. I don't know. Maybe See, I, am cu- I am curious to get your thoughts on the spirituality of the character of Bodhi. Is that some? Is that somewhere you want to go? Because it, it uh, he just seems so. I don't know the name Bodhisattva. The the sur- surfing is the source. You see that drive. You see that love of his friends and family. But then you start to see the cracks. I feel like through the movie. I mean, do you feel the same way that it's all? It, it kind of ends up being almost like an act or a farce or just skin deep spirituality. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's a lot of it's it's built in for the the whole juxtaposition. Uh, you know, the difference between straight laced Mister Square uh, Johnny Utah um, versus this spiritual guy, and then you know they start exploring the boundaries between you know good and bad, and I think maybe they're you know they're showing you both extremes. You could have Johnny Utah being you know the extreme you know super type straight-laced FBI agent, going to save the world, do everything right, takes the chicken off skin, man. And then you have <laughs> you have uh, Bodhi, who, you know, at first he in- he's introduced pretty chill. He's just this, you know, kill- cool surfer guy. But they take him to the extreme as well as being sort of this anti-system, anti-establishment guy, which I think his, his spirituality is just a part of it. Um, yeah, so that's where... That's, 
I think he definitely sees himself as kind of like the inadvertent savior of all, like you said, like the people in the coffins on the highway. Like, you know, he, he kind of pictures himself as like an idol to everyone, even though that's not really like the way the world looks at him. Right. Right. So in this film, uh, Swayze, so like all, all the actors had to learn to surf, all the, the main characters you had, uh, Lori Petty, Keanu Reeves and, and Swayze, they were all surfing. Um, Swayze actually broke four ribs. So he didn't just like at a jaw, but he broke four ribs, uh, ribs doing the surfing for this movie. Uh, oh man. But, uh, he was the only one that went a uh, whole hog on skydiving. He actually got really into it during the filming of this. He did 30 or so jumps. Um, just in it's like, you know, outside the movie, not filming for the movie. Uh, during during the filming of it, uh, he would try to get everybody he could in the like his surf gang to go jump in with him, and it eventually got to the point where the studio had to um, tell him to shut that shit down for their insurance. Uh, oh man! And he he made a deal with them so that he could uh to you remember the scene where he uh I guess it's it's the last scene when when Johnny has to chase him out and he jumps out and he does the you know the nice pirouette and the little um, moves to the air. That scene's actually they he talked him into at least letting him do that scene for the movie. And, uh, he kept up with it after the movie. He, he, uh, he ended up doing 55 jumps is what I read. Um, before, um, sadly, you know, he had pancreatic cancer and, uh, died way too early, but, um, he That's never, it only 55 jumps. Cause man, he like nails that freestyle exit in the movie. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's pretty incredible. If you ever hear him talk about it, and we could probably find a link for that, I mean, he was really into it. He speaking of the spiritual, I mean, he the way he described it as it, you know, it, he described it as a, a, a super spiritual thing for him. Um, and I don't think Indeed, he, I don't it think, really is. I remember feeling that way in the beginning too. Just like, just feel like you're like stepping into another world. It's like very transcendent feeling going skydiving, and I, I, you know, and I talked about like finding the edges of the sport. I feel like that's part of it that's kind of been lost, you know, as I've skydived for, you know, 20 years now, you know, the, it's become more of like a mechanical action, you know, it's like just having techniques and applying them and accomplishing goals where in the beginning it was like, it's, you know, it's the, the Bodhi way where you feel like you really are stepping outside of like normal society and going and doing something that's, you know, a human is not supposed to be doing and you're, you're going into an environment where you, you were never born to be. And I think that that's, that's part of like his entire philosophy, like with the waves and everything and the way that he just approaches like, Oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to rob banks so we can, you know, f- facilitate our endless summer. And those are all kind of like, I, I guess those are like bastardizations of his worldview because he wants to continue doing these things that are, you know, the ultimate human experience. And the only way that he can find to do that is by, you know, breaking the laws of man. And so, yeah, he is an ultimate juxtaposition. He, outside of the bank robbery, he is basically like a great dude. He's spiritual and he values like the sanctity of his existence. And, but he realizes that it's worth pushing it to the extreme. But unfortunately he's just willing to kill people to get there. Only at the right. end. He wasn't... Uh, I don't think his guns were loaded at the beginning, right? Or maybe I'm just thinking of... Because he unloaded uh, Johnny Utah's gun. I always kind of imagined his first uh, bank robberies at the former part of the movie as just uh, empty threats. He just had unloaded guns with him. Well, that's what they say, right? Um, they come in there, guns blazing, you know, 
figuratively yelling and screaming, uh, taking control of the situation. And they describe it, you know, as peace through superior firepower. So they don't right. actually have to use their guns if they just make it really seem like they're gonna. Well, all right. So we had Keanu, uh, we had, we had, uh, Patrick Swayze. Um, is there, is there another big name in this movie? You think that's worth talking about? Well, I don't uh, think peak uh, Busey. Yes. <laughs> Our friend, the great Gary Busey. Um, so a lot of people like the shit on Keanu's acting. Um, and to those people, I say, you know, what's your problem, man? Uh, and a lot of people also, you know, respect his craft and for Gary Busey, there seems to be an almost unanimous consensus that he is just a nut job. And to those people, I say, meh. Um, I actually think well his character, yes, I actually <laughs> think his character in point break was played perfectly. You know, like, you know, just like uh, we were talking about with Keanu, I can't imagine someone else casting that role. Um, anyway. yeah, he's great in this movie. And you know, I'm not, I'm not, I super... could imagine Will, Willem Dafoe casting <laughs> this role <laughs> or his brother, <laughs> yeah. William. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, uh, I'm not super familiar with Gary's, uh, full filmography. Uh, I missed a lot of the recent stuff I know with his reality show. And I think he was what on the apprentice or something like that. Uh, but last year I did come across his autobiography and on a whim, I picked it up and read it on the beach. That's a gym. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me tell you, uh, the title of the book is Buseyisms, Gary Busey's basic instructions before <laughs> no. leaving earth. And if you ever heard, Oh my God, basic instructions before leaving earth, that's because it's an acronym for Bible. Um, Wow. It's a, it's a pretty easy read. Um, I'm not going to diss sort of his, uh, I'm, I'm sure he had a ghostwriter, but even still, it, you know, it almost came off as like a, I don't know, a teenager or something wrote it, but, uh, every chapter, uh, had a title with an acronym in it, or he calls them the, the Buseyisms. Uh, most were, <laughs> oh, no. most were a stretch. Here's a few examples. Uh, miracle moving into rapturous, angelic, cosmic, loving energy. That was a chapter title. Patience. Projecting, accepting thoughts in every new challenging experience. And fart, feeling a rectal transmission. <laughs> wow. We love reverse engineered acronyms, or as I recently heard them called backronyms. Hey-o. It's like one of uh, it's one of uh, our friend group's favorite things. Yeah, Jokes is about, it, it's like Gary Busey wrote this book just for us. I was going to say, jokes aside, um, he's actually a pretty interesting dude. Um, he does have a pretty solid and deep career, um, which I would have never known if hadn't gone through that book. When he was younger, he actually played uh, Buddy Holly in the Buddy Holly story, and I watched that. It was a he did a really good job. He actually got an uh, Academy Award nomination uh, for Best Actor in that movie. Um, but there's one fact um, that I picked up that probably explains a lot of what we uh, you know think we know about Gary, or explains a lot about you know what we think we know about him these days. It was on December 4th, 1988. Busey was severely injured in a motorcycle accident in which he was not wearing a helmet. His skull was fractured and he suffered permanent brain damage. And according to him, he actually died. And this was two years before he filmed Point Break. So to all rights, he probably shouldn't have acted again. Uh, But the way he kind of laid out in the book, he took his rehab real serious. And, And Point Break was actually his comeback. So, you know, for Reeves, we have Point Break as sort of his breakout for Swayze, we get to see him kind of play himself, minus the murders in his prime. And and for Busey, we get to see this this great comeback. 
That's interesting. I didn't know that happened before Point Break because I heard that he was pretty much never the same person afterwards. And I always assume that happened after this because, I mean, like I said, like I really consider this movie to be point or to be peak Busey. Yeah. You know, I think it's just like the best role I've ever seen him in. I haven't seen Buddy Holly, but it just, he does not seem like an insane p- person per se in the film other than, you know, the kind of crazy acting he's doing. But he doesn't seem like he's broken in the brain at this point. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because, I mean, you definitely see him fall off over the years afterwards. Um, and I don't, I don't, reading the book, I don't really know what to attribute that to. Uh, he did have a, um, he did OD a few years later um, and almost die again. And that may have been the start of, you know, the real downfall. I'm not really sure. It might have been all that time he spent thinking up backronyms. <laughs> yeah. Pushed him off the deep end. <laughs> That's like an alternative to a fear journal. Yes, uh, Buseyism journal. All right, so we have we have the main actors. We talked about the extreme sports. We talked about the great action. Uh, there's a couple more uh, key players in the movie, and we've already talked about Catherine Bigelow a little bit. Um, so the the only person we haven't really talked about who was uh, you know heavily involved in the making of this movie is the writer, a guy named Peter W. Peter Eiliff. Um When he wrote this movie, he was actually a waiter at the time and he made a whopping six thousand dollars for this script uh no no that's a crime yeah it said it took him three three drafts over months to um get to the point where it was filmed and i kind of looked into his history and and prior to point break the only thing uh he had written at least i could find uh before it was a a movie called prayer of the roller boys and boy i uh, i found a, a youtube link for this movie i'll share it with you guys uh, I had to watch it, and that was that was something. Um, this was, I guess, a couple of years before Point Break. It starred Corey Haim, um, before the drugs kind of totally ruined him. And it's, it's about a, a super young and white and uh, honestly somewhat racist rollerblading drug cartel and this strange dystopian <laughs> future. It's, um, it's a documentary, right? Yeah, no, it's a true story. Um, it's actually the life of Corey Haim. <laughs> he plays himself kind of like Eminem. But I, I'll have to send that along to you because uh, that that one, it may be you know not high on the list of things you got to watch. But if you can find a minute to s- squeeze that one in, that's a little gem there. But uh, so after Point Break though, he did go on to write uh, Patriot Games and Varsity Blues. So I think he made out in the end. All right, so we've established that Point Break gets top marks on its action components. Um, but a lot, of movie, a lot of movies have great action. They don't have the longevity and following that this movie does. We've shown that, statistically speaking, at least half of the world's surfers and skydivers got started because of this movie. Uh, don't quote me on that. But there's also a ton of surf and skydiving content that is much higher caliber than we see in Point Break. Maybe those two points are enough to explain why the average Joe still might casually watch the movie when flipping through the channels on an idle Saturday afternoon. But how do you explain... Many super fans like me, who intentionally come back to this movie over and over again, the ones who use lines for this movie, way more than they probably should in everyday dialogue. Maybe it was just the perfect storm of writing, directing, casting, acting, cinematography, editing, scoring, that is that made this movie so watchable, even with all of its flaws. But I really don't think that's it. I've been uh, rattling this around in my brain meets for a couple weeks now. I definitely had a lot of thoughts on it from the beginning. 
but it didn't all congeal until actually last night uh, when I found myself listening to some old Alan Watts and Terrence McKenna recordings. Uh, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And this is my theory. You ready? Point Break. Oh, yeah. Ready. Point Break is the original red pill. Now, hear me out. Obviously, I'm talking about the red pill from The Matrix, which has made its way into everyday parlance, and it's used to describe a process by which a person's perspective is dramatically transformed, introducing them to a new and typically disturbing understanding of the true nature of a particular situation. So, watching Johnny Utah and his world being juxtaposed against and then transformed by Bodhi is the process by which a certain demographic perhaps only white males born around 1980 growing up suffocated by suburban privilege, come to find out that everything they've been told by society about what they are supposed to do, who they are supposed to be, and how they are supposed to live is total bullshit. I was the perfect age to receive this when the film began to open my eyes and was already starting to develop a healthy skepticism for the words should and supposed to. It's not a transformation that happens in one viewing, Without the other elements that make this film so infinitely watchable, I don't think the mind virus that has ever since changed the direction of my life and probably many others could have taken hold. There's a quote by Terrence McKenna that sums it up for me. Culture is not your friend, but Bodhi really says it the best. It was never about the money for us. It was about us against the system, that system that kills the human spirit. We stand for something to those dead souls inching along the freeways in their metal coffins. We show them that the human spirit is still alive. Very nice. That is I give one a, of I, the specific quotes I wrote down because it's so good. And I got to tell you, that realization at the end, that is exactly what being a contentologist is all about. It's about finding things like that in a movie that give you like a radical shift in perspective. And I completely agree with you i'm glad we actually put this recording off a day so you could have that realization realization before we came to the show i yeah. hope your brain meets don't congeal too much because you do want them a little a little plas- plasticity that's, you're gonna need those brain word, meats right? <laughs> yeah exactly. for what we have coming up <laughs> well so i think that your your dissertation was fantastic brett what do you think i'm giving it a thumbs up I gave it two thumbs up. All right, perfect. So three <laughs> thumbs up between the two of us. I didn't realize the scale we were working on, but all right. So that does qualify you to move into the final part of this certification process. Oh, boy. So we have a final exam prepared for you where we will be quizzing you on some of the world's greatest content to truly test your knowledge, confirm that you are worthy of the title of contentologist, which is a real thing, by the way. It so, is a real thing. Will you be a contentologist or will you be a meat waffle? We're going to find out right now. So, Nick, are you ready? I am ready. Uh, but based on my uh, track record of uh, failings, I, uh, I'm just going to cross my fingers. Well, we're not trying to get on TV here, buddy, so I think you might have a shot. All right, so number one. From what college did Josh and Brett earn their contentology degrees, which are real things? Oh, the the one and the only Harvard. You got it. Ding, ding, ding. ding. That's a, 
You're sitting at a hundred percent right now. All right, Brett, you ready for the next question? Here we go. Who is the content clearinghouse's most mentioned man? You know, I was going to save this for the very last thing I said, but I'll go ahead and say it now. Yuval (laughs) Noah Harari. That is correct. Boom. Still 100%. (laughs) All right. Third question. This is getting a little esoteric, but what subject has graced the off-top section of the content clearinghouse more than any other? And in case you haven't figured it out, yes, every one of these questions is about the world's greatest content, (laughs) this podcast. Skydiving? Oh, it's so close. It's just a little bit higher than skydiving. It's like the it's like the surfing of pavement, if you will. Oh my god, I feel so stupid now. <laughs> I almost bought one of these yesterday, the one wheel. <laughs> one wheel is an acceptable answer. Also, space, and I guess we could let skydiving in there too. Wait, All right, space? we're going to give it to you. 3 thumbs up so far. Well, yeah, we've talked about a lot of space in the off top. <laughs> so I, I would have right. thought it was one wheeling. I guess I uh, my contentology degree might be on the line now. But you know what, Nick? If you it's get a one, on if you get a one wheel, then you'll understand. It's all you'll think about. <laughs> exactly. All right, Brett. Okay, so who is the obscure character Josh was trying so hard <laughs> to make the show's next most mentioned person? This is a tough one, but the name and the title are required. I'll give you a hint. It's from the America's Next Top Model episode. Oh, guys, I'm going to have to lean on my, or remind you of my absolute garbage memory for detail and say, I just don't know this one. We made this one very hard and obscure. Go for it, Josh. It's Kelly Coutrone, PR maven. Come on. Oh, Everyone man. knows her. <laughs> I don't even All think right. I could say that name after hearing you just say it. Final question. Please sing the contentology, the content clearinghouse's theme <laughs> I <was> song. Like, <laughs> I'll see. Movies, books, and video games. Something. Aeroplanes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And it starts with right now. Oh, Skip the theme song whenever I listen to a show, too. <laughs> That's close enough. I say we have the next contentologist on our hands. What do you think, Josh? It's official. Oh, my Woo-hoo! God. I, you I can't believe it. Um, did it. I just want to thank, uh, thank Keanu for you know, getting me <laughs> to this point in my life. Uh, and, you know, it all goes really to you guys. Like I said, I wouldn't have known contentology, which is a real thing, even existed if it weren't for you two. I can't well, believe it. invented it. There's finally a point to all of your skydiving and surfing. I knew it was heading it somewhere. all led up to this, <laughs> and not a moment was wasted. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us on the show, Nick. This was really awesome. Thanks for listening to the show for so long also thanks everyone out there in podcast land for also listening to the show we love you guys 
Um, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at the Content Clearinghouse. You can email us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. We also have a Discord channel, which we have a new member, Drano23, which I've been speaking to this week, which is awesome. So welcome to the Discord, Drano23. <laughs> uh, please join us next week. Hopefully we're going to be pushing this show into another 50 episodes and then maybe even 50 more. I mean, we'll go as high as numbers go. So thanks, everyone. We love you. We'll be back next week. Just for the record, it's movie shows, video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. You were close. I did. I like airplanes, though. We should add uh, yeah. one wheels and airplanes in there somehow. <laughs> it was good. So, what, what were you telling us? What were you going to tell us? Oh, yeah, I had a couple extra notes just in case I needed to add a few things to it. And there was something else that uh, kind of occurred to me. Another another theory uh, that popped in my head a couple days ago. So, at the beginning, I was talking about how Point Break was always tied. Um, as my my favorite film um, with another film. I didn't say what it was, but now it's my favorite after all the research. Well, the other film, uh, as you might guess, was Starship Troopers. And what I kind of realized, I mean, it, it might be a little bit of a stretch, but if you look at it a certain way, Starship Troopers is actually the exact same movie as Point Break. And this is, this is how I come to that. Interesting. So it's about a young guy figuring out who he really is. You got Johnny Utah and... What's the other guy's name? Johnny Rico. I mean, come on. He doesn't take the path that his culture or parents want. So he starts off on that path, but he takes a different path. Um, adversity and love forge him into who he eventually becomes. He has strong relationships with friends and father-like figures who help show him the way. And one of them is a Busey, for Christ's sake. So... It's true. It's basically the same movie, but one is in space and one is, uh, well, one is space with bug aliens and the other is just an action sports movie with bank robbers dressed as presidents. And maybe that's why I had such a hard time picking my favorite. I could see that. There's definitely a lot of parallels there. I feel like it's, it says more about the nineties too. Mm -hmm. And what the, like, you know, what the, I don't know what, maybe what the culture like the was focus. in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, the focus in the 90s is extreme sports, and then you move into the 2000s, and it's all sci-fi and bug aliens. Clearly, that's the world we're living in now. <laughs> that's really awesome. And that's... Uh, actually, I would I would expect nothing less from a man who did a term paper about Starship Troopers in college. Yeah, I wish I could still find old stuff like that. I'd be curious to see what I actually wrote. I'd be curious to hear what to grade that. you got on that term paper. <laughs> yeah, me too. These, these are the things I don't recall or remember anymore. Your they teacher would make bonus grades for you. Cause the <laughs> idea was so great. Well, Your teacher it, was like, this is great, but this is a math class. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please stop writing dissertations in the, in the margins? Hey, I just want to say one more thing. You've all Noah Harari. <laughs>